Welcome to the Let's Think About That podcast, where we don't just react. We'll break it down and think about it. We're going to talk news, the law, sports, whatever we're thinking about. We're your host, Ed Yeager and Lee Allen. Lee, how are you, my friend? I'm doing well, Ed. I hope you are. I am well, and you know, there has been so much in the news, it's hard to know what to start with, but I thought that the threat of thermonuclear war probably deserved a spot at the top of the ticket. I think you're right. It sort of gets one's attention, doesn't it? It does. So wake up this morning and hear that Putin has made a threat and he said he's not bluffing. And then uh, Biden spoke at uh, the U.N. Here's a little bit of sound from Putin and then Biden. And those who try to blackmail us with nuclear weapons should know that the prevailing winds can also blow in their direction. Putin has made overt nuclear threats against Europe and a reckless disregard for the responsibilities of the non-proliferation regime. Lee, I thought there were two things notable about this. One is he talks about people or other nations blackmailing Russia uh, with nuclear weapons. I haven't seen any evidence of that. And, and the other thing is that he issued a partial mobilization to call up uh, up to 300,000 reserve soldiers in Russia. Yeah, he did. And they're protesting tonight. I'm sure you saw on the news in the streets of Moscow, um, risking sen- uh, prison sentences up to 15 years. I just sent you a tweet or a, a copy of a tweet that shows all the planes leaving uh, the larger cities in Moscow around the time of Putin's statement, uh, people getting the heck out of Dodge. Apparently every flight out of Russia was sold out as people tried to just leave the country. And exorbitant prices. And the government uh, ordered the Russian airlines to stop selling tickets to males aged between 18 and 65. As I told you this morning, it's sort of troubling. You know, we've seen since he took over, not took over, but since he started the war uh, to to take over at least part of Ukraine back in February, uh, we've seen reports that say that, uh, Putin is not well physically, perhaps uh, seriously ill, maybe even terminally ill, that some speculate. And there have been some, some of those rumors have been that he had different types of cancer. Right. And Parkinson's and, and any number of things. And, you know, to the extent we, we know he's frustrated because he thought that his uh, troops would roll through Ukraine in a matter of days, if certainly if not weeks or weeks, if not days. Um, and here we are. Um, what, seven months, almost seven months uh, later, and the Ukrainians are on the move and the Russian forces are suffering uh, uh, greatly in terms of um, equipment and um, uh, casualties. So if he gets frustrated and he either doesn't care enough or has uh, you know become irrational, it, it's a scary situation. Uh, I guess one thing you would think might be a, sort of a, a break on his willingness to use nuclear weapons would be he doesn't want to use them close to his own border, you would hope, and he would not want to use them on those provinces in Ukraine that's, that, that are pro-Russian and speak the Russian language, which is about where all the fighting is now um, after the Ukrainians' uh, counteroffensive of uh, the last 10 days or so. So, you know, it's a, it's a troubling spot. I'm interested to hear your thoughts. 
Well, the other reason he might not want to use nuclear weapons is if he's about to throw 300,000 more troops into the fight. Uh, so that may, that may remove that from the, the table, at least for some period of time. I, what I would have to say is that I, I don't know whether to take this seriously. Obviously, no one can predict the future, but something just feels qualitatively different than before. Uh, and part of it, I think, is the prospect of all of Well, let's take a step back, because part of it has to be with the expectations from the beginning that Russia would win this war quickly. They took a lot of territory. They obviously killed many people and destroyed towns, and, and it seemed like it had settled into a stalemate. And then over the last couple of weeks, the Ukrainians had mounted a successful counteroffensive, and they had taken back some 3,000 square miles is that the is that the right amount that they've so. taken back from the russian yeah. um and even as i say it that sounds like a lot so i don't know but you know the, those are some of the reports that are coming out so it seemed like they were on the move and pushing the russians back and then the idea that they're going to throw in to the fight even some percentage of their reserve forces which uh, according to all the sources that i've read they're not well trained they're not well equipped um and, and but it is manpower. And, and and what does that mean if they just start throwing them in? And what does it also mean if those troops start losing? What if they start defecting? What if they start turning their back and trying not to fight? And then there's there's greater turmoil within the Russian ranks. Uh, it feels like there's just a qualitative change in the conflict. And we're going to have to see how that plays out. But it does seem very dangerous at this point. It does. And I, I think you, you, you've touched on it. There, there's a qualitative difference. And I think that's a very... Uh, an appropriate uh, and apt way to describe it. Um, you know, and you wonder at some point, uh, is he going to get some pushback from within the, uh, the upper levels of the Russian government? You know, uh, could we be looking at a coup situation? Um, I think clearly if he were to um, suffer a defeat or admit that he's been defeated, I think he gets deposed. I think it would just be a question of when and how. And that's a tricky situation also if there's a change in the leadership in Russia. Right. It could get worse. I recall when you know everything happened with the dissolution of the Soviet Union and then you know, there were attempts and, and Yeltsin, I guess, you know, kind of took charge for a while. And then there was an attempted coup that failed. And, and somebody asked me a question is because I'd seen some news about it. And the question was, well, who's got control of the nukes? I said, I don't know. Uh, that that's the situation here. If if someone takes off Putin, does the military go with them? Is it the military that precipitates it, or or, or do they have a civil war, or do they have a civil war? And what's the outcome of that? Uh, what happens with nuclear weapons? They they did have sort of a civil war back in the Yeltsin um, at the end of the Soviet Union and just in the new Russia time frame, um, and and the military kind of. Um, did the right thing and, and, and did not, uh, did not lose control. But you wonder at this point, um, could they do that? Would they do that? Um, and so, uh, it, it, it can be quite tricky, um, uh, for, for Europeans, for us, for, for the world, really, because what happens if they do use a tactical nuke? Clearly somebody's going to respond and how will they respond? And, what does the Russian reply to the response look like? And like I said, it's troubling. Very much so. And, you know, that last clip was uh, from Biden speaking today at the United Nations General Assembly. Uh, some other 
another part of his speech was where he talked about Putin was attempting to essentially uh, destroy Ukraine as a nation. Uh, one thing he never mentioned, though, was uh, problems within the U.S. at the southern border. And over the last couple of weeks, the evidence has been that it has just gotten increasingly worse. Yeah. Uh, we didn't actually get to talk about Kareem Jean-Pierre's uh, statement that Biden was doing more than Trump ever did, uh, or the vice president saying, well, we have a secure border in the sense that we believe a border is important. Yeah, what the hell does that mean? Yeah, I want to get your thoughts on that. I guess I'm a billionaire in the sense that I really think I'm a billionaire, but yeah. uh the bank just doesn't understand. Right. Um, that's about, that's about, you got it right. I mean, it, it, it was just word salad that she is, a seems to, to offer up at, at any opportunity that she's asked a question. And sometimes even before she's asked a question, um, you know, I think her comments this week about the community banking, uh, where she offers this tautological reasoning for why community banks are good. Um, them because they're in the community and they understand the community, whatever the hell that means. Um, so, uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, the border continues to um, spin out of control. Uh, and I, I'm sure you saw uh, there was some reporting that the folks inside the White House were becoming upset and, and angry towards uh, the Fox reporter, Bill Malugin, who has been at the border since um, for months now, uh, reporting daily uh, on the, the people crossing illegally. And the White House apparently is, is not, not pleased with him. I did see those stories and it's remarkable, but I guess it's telling because the rest of the mainstream media is just not reporting on it. Uh, which is what's uh, interesting about this recent shipment of a few dozen uh, illegal aliens to Martha's Vineyard, uh, one of the most liberal communities in the country that had something like 100,000 vacant hotel rooms at the time, and yet their response was to call in the National Guard and have have them all deported to uh, right. to a military facility at Cape Cod. But you know, the bigger picture here, Lee, I've seen different numbers, I'm sure you have, but it seems clear that, that with the fiscal year not being over, there's a record, something like $2 million this year. And since Biden took office, closer to four million, thousands of getaways, and they can't even count those, obviously. Uh, and the stories of fentanyl and, and human trafficking uh, at the border are, are amazing, just just outrageous. There was there was one report this week that a 15 year old on a shuttle bus down there was caught carrying five pounds of fentanyl under his clothes, strapped to his body. Um, I believe he was an American citizen, but he's being pulled into this disorder at the border, which has all been created by by Biden and, and Harris back in the campaign, uh, inviting people to come. And, you know, I have to wonder if there aren't towns and villages in uh, countries throughout Central America that are just about empty at this point. Yeah, and it sounds like the, Ecuador, uh, the Ecuadorians or the Venezuelans, one of them, maybe both, uh, have done the old Castro thing of emptying the prisons. Yeah, I think that's a Venezuelan's as I understand. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, get rid of your troubles uh, or, or your, your problem children um, by, you know, giving them a little bit of money and encouraging them to hit, hit the United States. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's infuriating, you know, when you get right down to it. And it'd be one thing if, Biden and his flunkies like Kareem Jean-Pierre would own it and say, yeah, we think this is the right way to handle things. 
Uh, but they lie and obfuscate and pretend it's not happening. And there doesn't seem to be any relief on the horizon either. No. Um, but I did see where Biden was going to start um, uh, rebuilding the wall or, or building, go back to building a certain portion of the wall in Arizona because they think it's hurting um, Captain Mark Kelly's Senate. I guess it's, if you call it re-election, he's running for his own term. Um, but his bid to keep his Senate seat, we'll say it that way. So the Biden administration was going to uh, start putting up some portion of the wall there in Arizona, uh, which, again, makes him hypocritical at best. And what gets done before the election in November? Probably very little. And after the election in November, is there any incentive to continue doing it? Absolutely not. It's all for show. But I, I wanted to get your thoughts since we touched on politics. Um, it seems like the polls show that Georgia is trending red in both Senate races and also the gubernatorial race. Yeah, there's an AJC poll that came out today that has Republicans leading. Uh, every race that they surveyed now has a Republican in the lead. Now, some of them are within the margin of error. Uh, others, like the Kemp and Abrams uh, rematch for the governorship, that's uh, that's pretty much solidly a Republican lead at this point. And, and of course, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution is not a friend to Republicans. Yeah, you're right. The AJC is not a friend to Republicans, so uh, maybe that means something. And that's a, that's a significant uh, pickup for the Republicans. That'd be a flip to take that Senate seat back. It would. It sure would. And it makes you wonder, um, you know, if if, uh, if things had been a little different in the late fall of um, 2020, um, we might not have had to suffer uh, all of the things that we did. Well, let, let me ask you about that, because just as a thought experiment, suppose that the Republicans had had a 51 to 49 lead in the Senate, uh, which is still a tight margin, but uh, had a clear majority. Uh, suppose that had happened. Would that have moderated uh, Biden to do something different or propose some different legislation, do you think? You know, I, I, I'd like to think so, um, but it may have just been at the margins. You know, there's this, um, I don't even know what it is, this this thing that happens to people that are solidly conservative Republicans when they get to the Senate and they become Casper Milk Toast, go along to get along people. Um, so, you, you know, maybe not, but I, but I'd like to think that at least some of the more troubling things that the Biden administration has done would not have passed. And the other story today, just to stick with politics and, and, and Trump is the, the attorney general of New, New York, Letitia James announced a civil lawsuit against Trump and his children. Uh, everyone involved in the Trump organization claiming fraud. I don't know if that has any effect on this election or, or what actually happens with that lawsuit. Uh, you know, Trump had been, Asked to testify to deposition, he took the fifth, uh, came out and said, you know, now I understand why people have to take the fifth when there's a corrupt prosecutor or something to that effect. Well, now they'll get into civil discovery on the case and see what happens. Uh, I did think it was interesting that they already got a conviction or guilty plea from uh, the, the chief financial officer with the Trump organization. So you have to expect they're using him as an inside source and a witness in their case. 
Yeah, and and you wonder is he going to turn out to be like uh, the the couple of lawyers and the the fellow that was um, I can't remember his name, but he he came on board pretty early and made a big splash, and I think he worked for Trump for ten days, and now he's the talking head on um, the left wing media, maybe MSNBC or CNN. Um, you, you know, it's a it's pretty clearly, and to my way of thinking, a witch hunt. I mean, if they had something on the man, they would have they would have had it by now. Um, and we would have seen it. I, I, I wonder if it's going to backfire in terms of this race because, you know, Trump is, um, he energizes the race, uh, and, and from the Republican standpoint. And it seems to me that they would want nothing said about Donald Trump and let them sort of define, uh, the issues and, and the playing field and so forth. And, uh, the more uh, they go after him, it, it's like it, it gins up publicity for him and gives him an opportunity to do what he does best, which is, you know, counterpunch. Uh, I mean, I dare say he's a better counterpuncher than Bill Clinton, or at least as equal. Yeah, I think you're right about that. You know, and, and one of the interesting thing about Trump supporters is that uh, I think they kind of fall in different groups. But there's a group of Trump supporters that really feels that. Uh, he's fighting for them and that when someone starts fighting him, that he's their proxy and, and that just makes them support him all the more. Yeah. So at least for that group of folks, it's not going to deter them from supporting. him. No. And I, and I think that's a large group, um, you know, and, and Trump has said that it's 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 not me they're coming after. I'm just standing between them and you. Uh, you know, the other story, I don't want this. This has kind of gotten lost in all the news, but I guess it was about 10 days ago that Visa and MasterCard announced this international standards group has come up with a new code that they're going to start coding purchases at gun stores. So a lot of chatter out there that this is a way of uh, trying to shut off uh, gun purchases or to track them later. What do you think about that? I think it pretty clearly is is an opportunity to build a database of gun owners uh, because they're tracking gun purchases and, am- and ammunition purchases uh, with uh, credit or debit cards. Um, it's, it's, I think it's, it's troubling. I mean, I, I don't know why the government, I mean, why the credit card companies would need that other than they're doing the government's work for it. You know, I can't see that there's a neutral need for that information uh, by either the, the credit card companies or the government. And so, uh, yeah, I think it's, I think they're building a database for when they're going to come for our guns. The 26 attorneys general have now uh, objected to it. Uh, I understand that at least a couple of the credit card companies are kind of waffling on it. Yeah. Maybe there'd be some backtracking. Yeah. Because they, they're saying it's voluntary and it was not mandated. So they, if that's true, they certainly would have the ability to, to not, not implement the policy. I guess the other big news this week was this, was Biden's interview with 60 Minutes on Sunday. It's been a few days now, but, uh, you know, he said the pandemic was over. Is the pandemic over? The pandemic is over. We still have a problem with COVID. We're still doing a lot of work on it. He said inflation was only up an inch. Inflation rate month to month was just just an inch. I'm just not sure he helped himself a lot with uh, anything he said there. Yeah, I, I think he hurt himself in a lot of ways. Um, and, and, and then the, the other thing that he said from a, uh, a national security standpoint was, 
He said for the fourth time that the United States would defend Taiwan militarily against the Red Chinese. And, and, not, ju- and not just provide weaponry, but actually send troops. Yeah, to, to fight and die. Um, and, and then a senior administration official or senior White House official, I forget which way Scott Pilly phrased it, but called CBS News after the fact and said, oh, no, 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 that's we're not uh, the U.S. government's not changing its policy. That's that's not what we mean. Well, the problem with that is that Joe Biden is the president and the president has complete control over the foreign policy of our country. And so if he says something, that's the policy. And in this case, he said it more than once, like you say. Right. This is the fourth time. Now, who in the world is this person that's calling saying that's not and sort of overruling the president? And under what authority uh, can can he or she do that? Uh, Biden kind of walked it back today in his speech to the U.N. talking about the one China policy and so forth and how it's kept the peace for 50 plus years and, and, and whatever or 70 years, whatever the math is. But that's that bothers me a great deal. I mean, it, it just the man is he just spouts off. Uh, but but last week, you know, he or maybe not last week, but in the last few weeks, he's used his emergency powers given to him to fight COVID to do some things. And now he says the pandemic is over because nobody has masks on. Don't they look good? Um, and and then as, as, as recently as last week, he was walking around outside with a mask on. Yeah, none of it makes any sense. And, and then to top it off, some bitch was late to the Queen's funeral. I heard that. And then they got caught in traffic. I mean, he's sitting, he and Jill are sitting in the car and the car's not moving. Don't you know the Secret Service love that? I'm sure. And and she didn't wear the right, she should have worn a hat and she wore a bow in her hair or something. Apparently offended the English greatly. I wasn't aware of that. I missed that fashion bit. Well, I'm the fashion editor here at Let's Think About That podcast. And speaking of the Queen's funeral, you know, I watched a lot of the, the events. I guess it was like 10 days worth of events. And so I saw quite a bit of it. And it, really remarkable just the way uh, the British, you know, honored their monarch, uh, seeing all of these ceremonies laid out so well. And, and yeah, I, I don't know. I just found it striking. The, the, the pomp and the ceremony was impressive. And then the fact that they pulled it all off without a hitch at least none that anyone saw, um, was remarkable. I mean, it truly was. The only thing I don't know is what did Charles serve at his um, banquet after the funeral to which Joe and Jill were late because they got stuck in, stuck in traffic? I, you know, I'm not, I don't know, but that will probably come out. Um, you know, one, thing, one little thing I found interesting was when they, the, uh, I don't remember the, the person who did it, but he broke the staff during the funeral. He basically was the head of the household staff. And that is a, I guess, a symbolic way to show that, that the, um, the monarch is dead. And then they breaks the staff and then the, the staff is buried with, with the monarch. And, and then I saw some speculation about whether or not, um, you know, he, he would keep his job under Charles. I guess he doesn't have to, but, it, but the, uh, the consensus seemed to be that Charles was going to keep him in, in his job. Uh, but, you know, supposedly all the staff was essentially sort of like serve at the pleasure of, they, they're sort of uh, uh, could lose their jobs. Uh, 
now that she's dead, because Charles will have his own people and for some of those positions. But uh, yeah, that was pretty. Uh, I didn't see. I didn't know that was coming when he when he did that. Yeah, I'd heard it talked about, but still, it was, it was impactful when they did it. Uh, it's kind of a changing of the guard. Don't you think that probably all the members of the royal family are scared to death of Anne? Uh, no. Why? I just I don't know. I you just mean the way she, she looked in the uniform. Well, and she just strikes me as someone not to be trifled with. She looks serious. I mean, she's standing there holding that sword, and um, you know, <laughs> uh, Chuck better be on his toes. Yeah, good point. You know, a lot of them had swords, though. I, I noticed, yeah. and they would have to move them around when they got in cars and such. Yeah. Uh, I was tempted to wear. I think I said this last week. I was tempted to wear my um, uh, the few paltry medals that I have on my suit to court Monday morning. So I could be like our friends, the British. All right. I thought you were going to say you're going to wear your kilt. Uh, I don't have one of those and, and I would not wear it if I did. Okay. Well, what's on your radar for the next week? Uh, well, Ukraine, I mean, I, I, you know, as you said, when you, when you, when you broached it uh, first, that, that that's, that's a big deal. Um, so, you know, it'll be interesting to, to see how that uh, develops over the coming days. Um, the inflation issue, we didn't really, touch on it much, but um, the Fed raising the interest rates today, um, you know, what's that going to do? And then I guess they're going to meet again in what, November? And the speculation already is that they'll raise rates one more time, you know, at least w- once again then. Um, and then as we approach cold weather, you know, what, what are utility bills going to do, both here and in the in the uh, European community or the European Union, whatever they call themselves now? So I'll be watching that. And then the other thing is, you know, Aaron Judge hit 60 last night. Yeah. Now, what's the significance of that? He's tied with Babe Ruth at this point. He's one behind Roger Maris. He is, and and he's a free agent after this season, and he turned down a boatload of money. And it looks like he he helped himself by turning it down. Um, And the speculation, I've seen some speculation that he might end up in Boston. That would be interesting, and of course, there's 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 at least a week left in the the season. I don't know exactly how many games, but he's got plenty of time. Yeah, he's got plenty of time. The season ends uh, Sunday the second, um, and so he's got what, but uh, ten days, give or yeah, take nine or ten games. Probably. So you think, yeah, nine or ten games, and um, at the rate he's hitting them, um, you know, he's certainly. And then and then the other thing, baseball wise, is Albert Pujols has got six ninety seven. Uh, and, um, you know, um, he said he's retiring. He's not interested in, in hanging around next year to try to get 700. He's passed, um, uh, A-Rod for fourth on the all-time list, but, you know, 700 would be a nice milestone for, for, for Albert Pujols. And he seems, uh, to be one of the rare players that no one will say, can say anything bad about. Uh, he's genuinely liked by everyone, and you know he's hit basically 700 home runs. It's amazing, and he's a former American Legion ball player. Well, good for him. Yeah, yeah. Sticking with the baseball theme, I saw this headline a few moments ago that uh, Mets infielder Louis Guillorme had was hit for the 106th time and has now set the New York single-season record for being hit by pitches. Wow. That's a lot of bruises. 106 times. A lot of bruises. He is a a very good defensive infielder, 
but he's not much at the plate, so I guess he's trying to do what he can to get on base, and it sounds like he is. Oh, good for Louie. Yeah. And the other story that I just wanted to, to throw out there, I don't know if you've seen this, but uh, it kind of bears watching, I think, is what's going on in Iran. And Andy No, who does a lot of reporting on Antifa and, and protests here in America, has, has had a lot of uh, surreptitious video from Iran. But apparently there was a young lady in Iran who was arrested by the Islamic police, something about her hijab not being correct, and she died. And, and not a lot is known about it. So there have been massive street protests. Uh, Andy has, has published a video of women in the streets burning their hijabs. Tell us what a hijab is. That is the ceremonial head covering for uh, Muslim females. And, and, you know, in Iran, they've got, I, I guess it's governmental or governmentally associated, but basically groups that are there for the promotion of virtue and the avoidance of vice. And they police things like that, yeah. uh, along with the state police and state security services. Uh so lots of videos of women being beaten in the streets now and other protests going on. I don't know what's going to come of that. There's certainly been other protests in Iran before that never really amounted to much in the end. But it's kind of interesting to see that's happening right now. It is. And apparently she was beaten to death. And, and when she, by the time she got to the hospital, she was essentially brain dead. And the injuries are consistent with that and pretty much only that in the the authorities are saying, oh, no, oh, no, that, that never happened. That, that didn't happen. But they can't explain it. And, um, you know, it's, it's it's pitiful. The Iranians had a strong middle class, educated middle class, uh, and, and pretty Western middle class up until um, the revolution in, in, in 79. And you wonder if there is still a, some strength there that might be able to sort of uh, – get some, another revolution started. Uh, but like you said, there have been protests in the past and it hasn't happened. So who knows? Well, it bears watching. You got anything else for tonight? Yeah, I want to know who's going to win, Notre Dame or your Tar Heels. Oh, that's going to be an interesting game, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's in Chapel Hill, right? It is in Chapel Hill. Uh, UNC's coming in 3-0, and uh, having won a couple of uh, – on the road Sunbelt games and then one at home against FAMU to open the season. And Notre Dame, they've had some some struggles this year so far. Uh, and yeah. now their quarterback is, or their, who had been their quarterback, is out for probably the rest of the season. Uh, so, you know, I'm pulling for, the, for Carolina, obviously. Uh, I think they've got a good shot this year. And let me tell you something. After winning three games, having a week off, to get ready for this game. And then if they win this game, that place is going to explode on Saturday. Yeah. And, I, you know, Notre Dame was, I watched uh, most of their game this past Saturday. Um, and they were very fortunate to win that game. Um, the backup quarterback started and, and really didn't hurt them, which is commendable. Uh, but they're, I just don't know that they have, I would think Carolina has more speed than they do. Um, and I think in the end that will make a difference. All right. Well, we will report on that next week. What do you say? Yeah. Okay. Thanks for tuning in for another episode of the Let's Think About That podcast. You can email us at comments at letsthinkpodcast.com. If you've enjoyed the show, please click subscribe with your podcast provider, leave us a review, and tell your friends. 
Okay.